0: Last week, I began part one of what I told you was a two-part sermon, but what is now a (laughs) three-part sermon, and I would say I'm sorry, uh, but that would be lying, and you shouldn't do it, especially not in church from the pulpit, and I realize these sermons are uh, more topical than expository which is a little different from what we're used to, and I get that. Uh, but the goal here is to use the scene from Nehemiah 8 to push us all, me included, to be in the Word of God this next year. That, that's the goal here, and I think it's okay. I think the Lord will forgive me from breaking from our expository model. And last week, I laid out the context of Nehemiah 8, that despite Israel's best efforts to turn their country around, they failed. Uh, like I do constantly, they put their hope for change in the wrong things. Uh, we saw that an elaborate temple safe borders economic growth reasonable politicians a virtuous culture it won't transform hearts because it can't transform hearts only god can do that and the holy spirit does that work primarily through the word of god we also saw that god's word is for all people uh, men women and children and while the priests and the levites and all the spiritual leaders had a role to play in this revival The most important character in nehemiah 8 and really uh, a lot of the bible is the people it's the people Uh, the initiative for spiritual renewal begins with you the people demanding listening and obeying god's word uh the spiritual leaders and all the rest are just stained hands to assist in that process and we also said that this beautiful scene in nehemiah 8 was a watershed moment in israel's history right these People, when they gave this royal reception to the word of God, they stood for the hearing of the word. This people uh, who had defined themselves and identified themselves so often by their king, their nationality, uh, their religious beliefs, uh, their borders, their prosperity, their temple, and all the rest, they they saw and redefined themselves, and they were known from that point on as the people of the book, God's book. That's what they were known for, and, and it's beautiful. It's a good start. This Bible conference was a good start, but you can't live a lifetime on one meal. It was true for Israel then, it's just as true for us today, and if Sunday sermons are your only serving of the Word of God in your week, you are spiritually malnourished and starving to death, and you probably don't even realize it yet, and that's just not the way. And I've told you this before, but our hearts are like those uh, stretchy, sticky hands that you get out of the quarter machines in the grocery store. You know I'm talking about the kids beg for them. I think it's like three quarters now, inflation. And those things are fun for like 42 seconds. But like within a minute, they're not sticky anymore. They're covered with residue and gunk and lint and crumbs and COVID-19, and they're just useless. And our hearts are equally as sticky Our hearts are equally as sticky, and they come in contact with all sort of surfaces and debris on the regular. And the only way to keep our heart clean is to consistently and constantly allow the Holy Spirit to wash our hearts in the water of the word, which is why we said last week we need to hear the word of God. And to do that, the blueprint I gave you was five steps, and everyone memorized them, right? We need to demand the word uh, to—I'm sorry, we need to demand the word—I didn't—for and from ourselves. We need to recognize that it's written to and for us. We need to make our ears attentive to hear God's command and his wisdom for our lives. Uh, The pages of scripture, they're not just suggestions. It's not just good advice. It's God's commands for you. Hearing or not hearing is a matter of obedience or disobedience. We need to prepare a time, a place, and have a plan to hear God's word. And uh, we need to commit to hear with the whole worshiper. Uh, It's not just a mental exercise. We hear with our hearts, our souls, our minds, and strengths. Uh, That was last week. Now, so you know where we're going today and next week, uh, here's our three-point outline. Last week, hearing the Word, verses 1 through 6. This week, understanding the Word, Nehemiah 8, verses 7 through 8. And next week, uh, responding to the Word, verses 9 through 12. If you have your Bible with you, open up with me to Nehemiah chapter 8. We're going to get a running head start. We'll read verses 1 through 8 together. Then we'll zoom in on verses 7 and 8 to see what God has for us today. Uh, If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. Um, It's on the screen. Hear the Word of the Lord. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard, on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messeah on, right, on his right hand, and Padaiah, Mishael, Melchijah, Hashem, Hashbatana, Zechariah, and Meshalim on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. This is today's text. Also, Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Yaqub, Shabbatai, Hadiah, Measeah, Kaleida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peleah, and the Levites. What did they do? They helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for it. We need to hear the word last week, uh, but hearing the word means nothing, literally, if we don't understand the word, right? If you don't understand it, it it means nothing, so that's what we're focusing on today, our need to understand uh, the word of God. Uh, But first, there's a verses for you, in front of you. First, I want to tell you a story. (laughs) Years ago, before even Texas, I served as a pastor, one of the pastors at a fairly large church, and our worship pastor there was a really cool guy. I mean, he was really good looking, he hand built custom motorcycles and sold them as like a side gig, and he was in this amazing band, they played all around town. I was thinking about it this week, and I'm certain that Rick Blackburn would have affectionately called him the same thing that he used to call me, a flannel pastor. Uh, That guy was a flannel pastor, Uh, Rick used to say that to me all the time, I can't believe Corstone has a flannel pastor. Uh, I guess I wear a lot of flannels. Um, But honestly, though, this pastor was a really Godly man, and to this day, I respect him a lot. And the reason I feel the need to say that is because, um, well, I'm about to tell you a story that may make it sound like I don't think he was a godly man and that I don't respect him, but I do, I do think he's a godly man and I respect him. But here's the story. He and I co-led a small group at our house, at my house, uh, every week we started every week by asking, my wife's already laughing, asking this one question to everyone who attended. Uh, What's something God taught you this week, right? And people would go around the room, they'd share their answers. Someone would say, oh, God's teaching me to be patient. God's teaching me to trust him in the midst of hard times, Uh, whatever else. I mean, they'd share their answers. And it was this worship pastor's turn to go, and he starts talking about how he and his wife have started reading the book of Esther together for their devotional time. And he's retelling the story of Esther, and he's super excited about it. And he's describing how the Persian king throws this, like, elaborate seven-day bash, and he and all these men, they're drunk, and he invites the queen to come and to parade around. He wants to put his trophy wife in front of these drunken men. She refuses. The king gets angry. He removes her as the queen, and he makes a law for the land that women have to do everything their husbands tell them to do. And the worship pastor is explaining all it, and then he says something unbelievable. Uh, He goes, this story is crazy. I I mean, I can't believe it. Jill and I were only in chapter one, and I've never read Esther before, so I have no idea what happens next. I can't wait to find out. And then he looks at this group um, of congregants and very seriously says to them, no spoilers. No spoilers. Uh, Don't tell me what happens next. And, And I was speechless. You've got a pastor without shame telling our congregants, that he's never read a very popular book of the Bible, right? Strike one. Worse than that, the pastor tells the congregants, don't ruin this for me, no spoilers. Like, don't tell me what happens. Having to tell our members no spoilers conveys the fact that he thinks they know what happens, even when he doesn't, and he doesn't want them to ruin it for him, the pastor. Uh, and that's just backwards. That's not the way it's supposed to go, and thankfully, it works out differently here in Nehemiah. 8. That's not the case, Right? If you look at what happens, we see in verses 7 through 8, as Ezra reads the word, the people hear the word, and what did the Levites do? They explain what the word means to the people so that they can understand it. They know what's happening, and they can explain it to the people rather than telling people, don't ruin it for me. I'm about to find out tomorrow. <laughs> uh, it was funny to me. Maybe it's not that funny to you all. <laughs> okay, so why do the Levites have to explain the word of God to the people of God? Well, in Nehemiah's day these people who had just come back from exile. They had been in Babylon for 70 years. They were probably born there, grew up there in a foreign land with foreign speech, with foreign customs, uh, and uh, all the rest. On top of that, these people likely had little to no exposure to the scriptures. Uh, The scriptures were handwritten on scrolls, and when the people were exiled, they were probably buried And hidden in Israel so they wouldn't get lost or ruined in Babylon. And even if there were a few scrolls there, these people outside of someone telling them who had it memorized had little to no exposure to the scriptures before then. There was no Amazon or apps, right? We're like, oh, just ordered a new Bible. It'll be here in two days and I can read it personally. That wasn't the case. So here Ezra begins to read these unknown scriptures to these people in Hebrew, a language they probably didn't know because they grew up in Babylon. And as they're hearing this Hebrew book read over them. They not only don't understand uh, the words, they don't know these, unlo- uh, these laws, these customs, these words, these names that I struggle with, and all these concepts. So much of what they were hearing was quite literally and figuratively lost in translation for them, right? Uh, the people's heart longed for God's truth. They knew that what they were hearing were God's very words of life, but on their own, without any help, Ezra's words were just kind of going in one ear and out the other. So in verse 7, the Levites step in. Who are the Levites? The Levites were members of the Hebrew tribe of, does anyone have a guess? The Levites were a tribe of? <laughs> Levites. Scholars. Way to go. Uh, and the Levites worked as assistants to the priests. Uh, and along with helping out in the temple with the sacrifices, one of their primary responsibilities, one of their main jobs was to study, to translate, think through, and understand God's word. And the Levites were appointed by God to help God's people to understand his message that was written in a foreign language for these people in a distant time and place, and then for the Levites to help the people bridge the cultural gaps to understand it better, right? Because different time, different place, different language, even for them than what was written. Uh, So when verse seven tells us that the people remained in their place, we get the sense that as each section of the law was read, the people stood still, and the Levites moved throughout the groups to translate, to explain, to answer any questions, to make sure that everyone, men, women, and children, understood what they were hearing. Does that make sense? Do you get what's happening here? Uh, perfect. Then you just experienced the very same thing those people did 2,500 years ago. I mean, think about it, right? We read a section of God's word. You heard it. It was translated for you, uh, and then I explained the text. And i bridged the cultural gaps the differences what would be missing for us if we were just reading that's exactly what happened then it's pretty cool you're living in the word point being like the levites assisting god's people in understanding his word is one of the primary responsibilities of elders pastors Um, that's why first timothy 3 2 and titus 1 9 list the ability to teach the ability to give instructions as one of the qualifications to serve in the office of elder we have to be able to do that in order to serve as your elders pastors it's the same word in Greek Greek lesson for you right there Jordan Jacob J so many Js, and myself in order to do that we have to prove to each other and prove to you that we know the scriptures and biblical doctrine well and we prove that with our answers and our actions we have to prove that we understand the text well in word and deed Uh, so that's how that goes and when we do and we're qualified to be that, and elected by the church to serve in that office, we can teach and explain God's word to you, and give you biblical instruction from God's word. At the same time, we're also able to identify serious errors and deviations from the word of God in our church, and then show that person from the scriptures how they're erring from the scriptures, where they're erring, why that's harmful, and why that's dangerous. That's why I was so shocked that day all those years ago, when my fellow pastor, elder, said, no spoilers about the scriptures to our people. How can we as elders explain and help God's people understand the word if we don't know it ourselves? And we've disqualified ourselves from that office. Uh, It was shocking. But that said, while the need to understand the word is especially true for elders, um, it's also true for God's people as well. It is hearing the word is important, but if we hear and don't understand, only bad things happen. Uh, We When we hear but don't understand, every encounter with God's word is just a retelling of the Tower of Babel. We hear words, we don't understand them, we get confused, and eventually we will scatter or leave from the truth we're in. That's what happens. Or worse, when we hear but don't understand, we fill in the gaps of our understanding on our own. Um, Like Israel did in the desert, we'll fashion an idol made up of our own understanding And then step back, they make this golden calf and go, here is our God who brought us up out of Egypt. We hear but don't understand. We'll fill in the gaps with our own understanding. We're like the Pharisees. We'll come up with our own interpretations and our own rules. And we'll declare with authority and an iron fist, this is what God wants of me. This is what God wants of you. And if you don't do these things, you are unfaithful. And if God didn't necessarily say it, uh, it's not enough to hear the word, but let's take it a step further. It's not even enough to know what the word says. Uh, Kiddos, imagine you invite a friend to come to your house after school one day, right? And you're having a snack and you give them a, a soda or whatever and they're done and you gotta use the bathroom. You're like, hey, you can throw away your can over there in the trash can. And you come back and instead of throwing their can away, they're throwing your TV into the trash can, right? Imagine that. And you would say, what are you doing? What if they said back to you, I'm throwing away the can, like you asked me to. You would say, that's not a can, that's a TV. But they said, oh, I thought this moving picture screen thing was called a can. In that scenario, did your friend hear you? They heard what you said. Do they know what you said? Could they repeat it back to you? They can't. So what's missing here? Yeah, they don't understand. They heard, they know, but they don't understand. That's why it's not enough to hear the word and it's not even enough to know what it says. Um, God's not happy if we can just repeat what he said to us back to him verbatim without understanding what it means. Y'all parrots can do that. He wants and expects more from us. God wants us to understand his word and in so doing understand him and his heart and he warns us in Hosea That his people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge his people are destroyed for a lack of understanding Hosea 4 6 if we don't understand it is to our own demise even if we memorized every word if we know exactly what it says understanding is the key which is why what the Levites are doing here in verses 7 and 8 it's so important they're expositing the Bible they are describing and explaining the scriptures to help the people understand the overall message And then understand the implication of the words of God on their lives what they're supposed to do about it how they're supposed to live into it Uh, the Levites were doing the very same thing that I'm trying to do right now and like you heard in our background scripture from Ephesians 4 God gave gifts to his church offices Uh, he gave the apostles the prophets the evangelists the shepherds elders and the teachers elders who teach God's Word why to equip the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of God and to help the people reach maturity in Christ why what happens if he didn't the church would be comprised of spiritual infants who are tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and I don't think elders are the greatest gift uh, to the earth I don't I'm not high on our own stock elders aren't special they're not better than average Joe church member at all we all stand on equal ground at the foot of the cross as sinners saved by grace elders are just one part of the body who have a specific role uh, and just like every other body, part of the body has a unique and specific role to serve the church and our, one of our primary roles as elders is to assist the people in hearing understanding and responding to the Word of God rightly rightly um, that being said I have a question for you do you need elders pastors to understand the Word of God Do you need pastors and elders to understand the Word of God? Uh, Do you need to be a part of the church to understand the Word of God? It's kind of a trick question, right? Uh, In some senses, no, you do not. Uh, If you have access to commentary and resources that explore original languages and customs of the day and archaeology and all the rest, and if you're a skilled reader and researcher and you have good and godly character, you can probably determine what the scriptures mean on your own just fine. You can. not But, however, determining what the scriptures mean is just knowing what it says. In some ways, parents can do that. And knowing the meaning of the word doesn't equate understanding the word. It doesn't. Do you know how I know that? That knowing the meaning doesn't equal understanding? Because if a person understood the scriptures, they would know that a churchless Christian, um, not under the care, authority, and teaching of the elders, that concept is alien to the Bible. It doesn't exist. In fact, it's expressly forbidden. And a competent, churchless Christian, reading the Bible on their own, showcases pride over the scriptures, not understanding. It's saying, I'm good on my own, even when God says in his word, don't belong to a church body under the care and authority of elders in the community of faith. Such thinking showcases immaturity and danger. When you hear God's word on your own, apart from accountability, instruction, and community, you're in danger of blind spots in your understanding of the scriptures. Uh, Eugene Peterson, I like him, warns about this very thing when he talks about why people need the church and the community of faith and why elders need the people of God equipped with the word of God to call them out uh, from the scriptures when they misstep. And he, he writes this, If we stay home by ourselves and read the Bible, we're gonna miss a lot, for our reading will be unconsciously conditioned by our culture, limited by our ignorance, and distorted by unnoticed prejudices. Uh, Basically, a churchless Christian reading the scriptures on their own is like the emperor with no clothes on, except he's wearing noise-canceling headphones. He doesn't know that he's naked. He's got these unknown blind spots. He's conditioned by the culture and all the rest, but he's got noise-canceling headphones where he can't hear and doesn't want to hear anyone else tell him otherwise. And it's dangerous for me. It's dangerous for you. The elders, assuming they are biblically qualified men, are there to serve as guardrails and safeguards for the church's understanding. Um, And not only that, we'll see this next week. Another reason God gives his people ministers of the word is to ensure that their response to the word is right, too, um, because the people start to respond, and the spiritual leader's are like, no, 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 stop. This is not a day for weeping. This is not, you'll, you'll see it next week. But back to 7 and 8, uh, the Levites, the Old Testament version of pastors, elders, are doing their God-given job. That's what God called them to do. They move around the crowds to translate, explain, answer questions, bridge the cultural gaps so that the people understood is what the text says. Go, Levites. Positive example. So thankful for that. But the people are the main characters in the story, and the people here have a responsibility too. Look at verse seven. It Says that the people remained in their places, and verse eight tells us that the people understood the reading. He it said it's not enough to hear the word. Hearing the word without understanding doesn't do anyone any good. It doesn't help anyone. And Levites and pastors and theologians—they are an aid to assist in that process they're just helpers they're just the stage hands but the star of the show is the people point being this your spiritual health maturity and understanding are ultimately your responsibility yeah your spiritual health maturity and understanding are ultimately your responsibility you are responsible for that the people have to want to understand the word. They have to possess the desire, the patience, and willingness to put in the effort and discipline required to understand the word. So, Nehemiah 8, 1 through 6, they set aside the time to hear the word, at least six hours straight. How easy would it be to give six hours up tomorrow? How many things would you have to move around? How many things would you have to figure out? Who's going to do this or that? They did that. They demanded the word, and they refused to settle for anything less. They attentively listened, preparing their hearts to receive the truth of the word. That was one through six. Here in verses seven and eight, they remained in place. They asked questions. They did the extraordinarily difficult thing to do in understanding all this new, challenging, and often hard to understand scriptures. They did that. And the same is true for us. It is. Understanding God's word is difficult. It can be, but it's worth the effort. Understanding God's word is difficult, uh, but it is worth the effort. So in the next eight minutes, I'm going to quickly walk you through three points on understanding the word. We'll pray, sing, and you'll be dismissed. Does that sound good to you guys? You ready? No one said yes, so I'm just going to assume yes. (laughs) Uh, First is this. Understanding the word can be difficult. Understanding the word can be difficult. Scripture and theology introduce a host of uh, new terms and concepts. In your daily life, you probably don't come across the words sanctification, propitiation, I don't know, penal substitutionary atonement. Plenary verbal inspiration. Does that come up when you're in Safeway? Usually not. And these are new and foreign, and what do they mean? On top of that, delving into the deep things of God, I'm here to tell you, it can be mind-bending. It's difficult to do. When you really wrestle with the Word of God, it forces you to deal with what seems to be ostensible contradictions in the Word of God. It says this, but it says this. How can both be true, and yet God doesn't lie? You've got to wrestle with that. More than that, studying to show yourself approved, uh, it's time-consuming. And even the scriptures tell us can be grief-producing. Ecclesiastes 1.18, Ecclesiastes 12.2. And with all of these occupational hazards, I, I seriously understand the rationale that wants to retreat and leave it to the professionals. That's just not my thing. Happy with my verse today. Give me my daily bread. The rest of it. Unfortunately, Like I said, your spiritual health, maturity, and understanding are ultimately whose responsibility? Yours. Uh, They are. And unfortunately, I got another one. Uh, Biblical doctrine, it can't be watered down or simplified or diluted. If you want to eat meat, you're going to have to learn to chew. That's just how it is. Um, So we have to accept the fact that understanding the word of God can be difficult, which leads us to the second point. Understanding the word requires effort. Understanding anything requires effort, right? And sure, like, learning new things comes easier for some than it does others. If you've been in school, you know that. Maybe you have a sibling that just was quicker, a quicker study and all the rest. But no one wakes up and becomes a nuclear physicist. No one, I don't care how smart you are, and I don't care how quickly you learn things, no one wakes up and goes, oh, you know what, today, I'm a nuclear physicist, and I know how to do this. To be a nuclear physicist, you have to do the prerequisite work. You have to first understand mathematics and physics and chemistry, and I don't know what else because I'm not a nuclear physicist. But here's the thing. I think we already know that, don't we? I think we know that if we're going to understand the Word of God, we're going to have to put in the effort. I think we know that... We have to prioritize attending church. I think we know that we'll have to plan and prepare a time for hearing. I think we know that we'll need to exercise the discipline to read and study God's word. And when we do, we'll need to highlight and reflect and memorize and ask questions and look at study Bibles and commentaries and use the community God put around us to get answers to the question. I think we know that. And I don't think resources uh, or lack of ability is often the thing that keeps us from uh, putting in the effort required to understand the word of God. I don't. I think it's desire. I think it's desire. Understanding requires effort, uh, but effort requires desire, which is our third point. Understanding uh, re- the word requires desire. Mandarin is unanimously considered one of the hardest languages in the world to learn. Did you know that? And did you know this? Guess what? I don't speak Mandarin. I don't. But here's the thing it's not because I couldn't possibly learn it even if I wanted to. I'm a decent learner. I have a fair amount of self-discipline to put in the effort. And I'm aware of countless resources that would aid the process of me learning Mandarin. So why don't I know how to speak Mandarin? I don't speak Mandarin because at the end of the day, I don't want to. Right? At the end of the day, I don't want to. Uh, Hear this. This is kind of big if you can get it. Whether consciously or otherwise, at some point, whether I thought about it explicitly or... Underneath the surface, somewhere along the way, I have determined that the reward for learning Mandarin is not worth the effort and difficulty required to learn it. Somewhere along the way, I have determined that the reward for learning it isn't worth the effort required to overcome the difficulty of learning it. And every day, I'm confronted by words, topics, issues, concerns, Things that I have no idea about. I wrote down a few of them, right? I have no idea what the sodium bisulfate in my food is or what it does. But you know what? I'm not a chemist and I'm not a nutritionist. I have no idea what that rattling sound or Tahoe makes means, but hey, I'm not a mechanic. I am terrible and, and lost at reading maps, but I'm not Magellan trying to cross the Atlantic. The Dewey Decimal System might as well be Mandarin to me. But hey, I'm not a librarian. Like I said, every day I come across and I'm confronted by words, concepts, topics, and issues that I have no idea about. And you know what? It doesn't bother me a second. It doesn't. And you might feel the same way when you're confronted by words, concepts, topics, and issues in the Bible that you have no idea about. I mean... You're not a pastor. You're not a theologian. Understanding something new can be difficult. It will require effort. We've said that, and we know that. But the key ingredient is desire. And I want to show you what I mean. Because in every other area of our lives, I've shared this with you before, in every other area of our lives, when we believe something has real import, when we believe it really affects us, guess what we do? We rise to the challenge or die trying. When we believe something has real import on our lives and a real effect on our lives, we will rise to the challenge. When something affects our money, we rise to the challenge. I don't know a thing about cars. I couldn't tell you a steering column from a carburetor. But if I found out it cost 1000 bucks to change my oil and I had to change the oil every 3,000 miles on my car and Ashley's car, 1000 bucks a pop, know nothing about cars, but you better believe I'm going to learn how to do it myself. Wouldn't you? When something affects our money, we will rise to the challenge. Uh, when something affects our loved ones we will rise to the challenge I did not well in high school biology okay I'll tell you that but when my mom got cancer and it felt like the doctor was speaking miles over my head you know what I did I took notes I pulled up my iPhone recorded voice memos I asked him to repeat himself can you explain that can you define that I researched different treatment options I found out what medication she was taking I looked up side effects she might be experiencing maybe that would explain certain things I did terrible in biology and yet When something affects our loved ones, we will rise to the challenge, right? In every other sphere of our life that we believe has a real effect on us, we will rise to the challenge or die trying. Is that true for you? So here's my real question. Why do we throw in the towel so easily when it comes to matters of God? And I I was thinking about that this week, and that's what made me come to this conclusion. Maybe the issue isn't whether understanding the word is too difficult or whether we have the time or ability to do so because I think we find ways to do it in other situations maybe the real question is whether or not we actually believe that understanding the word will have any real effect on our lives I think that maybe is the real question and I want to tell you from personal experience it will it will deep and vibrant understanding of the scriptures of God's word it will comfort you when tragedy strikes Uh, It will anchor you when the waves of doubt swell. It will add meaning to the mundane things you do every day. It will give substance to your work. It will give purpose to your rest. It will put before you the hope of the kingdom of God towards which you can walk in faith. Uh, It's not enough to just hear the word. We have to understand it. Otherwise, we're like those that Jesus spoke about in Matthew 13. Though hearing, they don't understand. Jesus rebuked them. And yes, understanding the word can be difficult, and yes, understanding the word will require effort, but the main issue is whether we desire it enough to overcome the difficulty and put in the effort. And I want to end with this. In John 6, Jesus gave one of his most challenging and confusing teachings. He said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. I want to tell you that that made absolutely no sense to Jesus' original hearers, the ones who were standing around him when he said it. It made no sense to him. Like right after this, literally the next verse, the Pharisees are disputing it. And we would expect that. I mean, they typically do. But in verse 60, uh, just a few verses away, John reports that many of his disciples say to Jesus, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Basically, this makes no sense, Jesus. And what you're saying sounds crazy and it's really hard to swallow. Verse 60, so what happens after that? Jesus explains it to them. They hear it, and yet they still don't understand. Which is when John tells us this in verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. I'm not talking about Pharisees here. I'm talking about Jesus' disciples. He says this difficult teaching. I don't know what that means. Jesus explains it. They still don't understand, and they go, I'm out. This teaching about eating his flesh, which I think we know what that means, right? He's talking about communion, but at the time, it's what? and huh? This difficult teaching about eating his flesh, it was difficult for them to understand. And because they were turned off by how it sounded, because they were turned off by how the cultural elites of the day responded to it, many disciples, is what John says, they left Jesus. They walked away from him. They did not want to be associated with him anymore. Uh, That's crazy, it's really sad, but uh, that's not what I want us to see. What I want us to see is what happens right after this shocking verse. Okay, disciples walk away because of the difficulty of Jesus' teaching, and then Jesus turns to the 12 and asks them this, do you want to leave as well? And I stinking love Peter's response. Uh, Verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Lord, to whom shall we go? Where else are we going? Who else are we listening to? Who else has answers? You have the words of eternal life. And I want to tell you, in that moment, Peter didn't fully understand what Jesus was talking about. He still didn't get it. Not yet. But he did know this. While understanding can be difficult, and while it will require effort, it is always worth it. Understanding can be difficult. It will require effort. And sometimes that effort is believing in faith, even when understanding isn't really clear yet. That's effort. Trust me. I don't get this. This doesn't make sense. I have doubts. I'm going to still believe. That's effort. Um, and it's still worth it. Peter got that. So these are the questions I'm going to leave you with today. Do you believe that God truly has the words of eternal life? Do you believe that God truly has the words of eternal life? If not, I get it. Many of those who walked with Jesus in the flesh, who heard his teachings, who saw him do miracles, they felt he didn't, and they walked away. Uh, It's sad, but I get it. But if you do believe that he has the words of eternal life, my next question is this. Do you believe that understanding the word is worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth uh, overcoming the difficulty and putting in the effort required to understand it? Do you have the desire to understand it? Um, and I don't need to hear your answers. Uh, you can answer that for yourself this week in your approach to God's word, or not. Like, really, the choice is yours. It is. Uh, I'm to close by a prayer from Martin Luther. Dear Lord God, give us your grace that we may rightly understand your word, and more than that, do it. O most blessed Lord Jesus Christ, see to it that our search after knowledge leads us to glorify you alone. If not, let us not know a single letter. Give only what we poor sinners need to glorify you. Amen.